You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul Smith. I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today is another Ask Us Anything episode. Corinne is back with me. If you're new to the podcast, you don't know Corinne. That's Corinne Faye. She does at Sell Trade Plus on Instagram and works with me here on Burnt Toast. We get into some of your very nitty gritty questions about working through fat phobia and treats with kids. We also talk about building fat community, which I love. And we talk a lot about Halloween costumes, and we may have just alienated you all with our stance on Halloween, TBD, but I think you'll enjoy it. So here's Corinne, but first a quick break. All right, it is time for me to read another one of your five-star reviews. Thank you so much to everybody who is leaving these. They really help folks find the podcast. If you haven't left us one yet, you should leave us five stars or different numbers of stars, or, you know, don't bother if you want to leave different numbers of stars. Five stars is a good starting place. Okay, this one is from Major Kraken. They write, This podcast was recommended to me by someone whose taste I trust implicitly, so I knew it would be good. But I have been utterly delighted by how incredibly insightful, educational, and engaging this podcast is. I can't wait to see which topics Virginia tackles and which guests she hosts next. Thank you so much. I love that your friend with good taste recommended it. I love to be good taste, I guess. So that's really awesome. Other things you can do to support the show, you can subscribe for free in your podcast player. You can become a paid Burnt Toast subscriber. It's just $5 a month, $50 for the year. Link in your episode description. And you can pre-order my book, Fat Talk, Parenting in the Age of Diet Culture, anywhere you get books. Whatever you do, thanks so much for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism. I'm excited we're doing this. I'm opening a seltzer. I also have seltzer. I'm opening the good seltzer. (laughs) Essential. (laughs) That's what we're going to do. I'm pouring the good seltzer. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah. We're going to answer some questions. This is, this episode airs in October. We're going to talk about Halloween. We're going to talk about some good stuff. I'm excited. Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask you the first question. You want to ask the first one? All right. I'd love for you to talk about the intersection between diet culture and being freezing. The temp where I live has dropped below 80 finally, and suddenly all of these very thin moms are super bundled up at drop-off. Meanwhile, I'm sweating still and shedding all my layers. Feels like one of those weird things where it's expected that women are small and freezing. Is this a thing? Just me being self-conscious about still being sweaty in October? I think it's a thing. Don't you think it's a thing? I don't know. I was confused by this question. (laughs) (laughs) I have often noticed that I will not be wearing a coat and my skinny friends will be like in scarves and very bundled up. I'm definitely hot. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I definitely am hot and sweaty. (laughs) Yeah, like all the time year round. And maybe because you don't live in a cold climate, Mm. you don't see this like juxtaposition. But I know what she's talking about, like especially this time of year, all these skinny women are like breaking out the sweaters and the scarves because it's fall and yay, you know, yeah. we live in the Northeast. And I'm like, can I just still wear sandals? I mean, I would rant for several minutes about my hatred of coats mm-hmm. and particularly coats and cars together. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's the worst because you just feel like bunched up and stuffed yes. into this thing. and like, Yeah, like your shoulder oh, mobility. Oh, God. And so... I have garage privilege. We have an attached garage to our house where I spend most of my life because my office is above 
much. So, But so when I leave my house, I don't have to put a coat on because mm. I'm going to like walk into my attached garage. And so it takes until like bitter cold here, like February before I actually like wear a coat. Do you know what I mean? Because I'll just like, I mean, also like I live in suburbia and so I'm driving everywhere and I get in my car without a coat and then I get to the grocery store and I just like run in. Like, Mm. do I need a scarf and a cute hat to like walk across a grocery store parking lot? I don't. But I definitely noticed this and people will always be like, aren't you cold? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I have padding. (laughs) (laughs) My body is insulating No, I'm not cold. I'm fat. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's funny because I actually love coats, but really? don't get to wear them very often. I like like a light coat, yeah. but I do understand what you're saying about wearing them in the car. I was just fighting with a raincoat earlier today, picking my kid up because it was pouring with rain. And I was like, oh, I guess I need to wear a raincoat. And they got in the car and I was like, I am being suffocated. <laughs> yeah. I it's hate not a good feeling. so much. Raincoats um, in particular, I feel like, just make me sweat. Yeah, because you're wearing a garbage bag. Even yeah. if it's a cute garbage bag, it just is. Yeah. Yeah, so I hate coats. Are people expecting women to be small and freezing? I guess oh, they, that piece of they it? They probably um, are. <laughs> well, we know they're expecting women to be small. I think there's like some cheesy rom-com tropes mm. around this, don't you think? Like, oh, she's wearing his like big sweater, blah, blah, blah. I'm more like, I feel like people are expecting fat people to be hot and sweaty. Yeah, yeah, Which for sure. I am living, <laughs> living that. I am meeting their expectations. I guess I would just say like, be comfortable, like, right? Yeah. I mean, who cares? Let those ladies have their sweaters and their scarves, and we'll get there. Yeah. What would you say if someone commented on the fact that you were not wearing a coat? Well, people have. I remember, like, being I was on, like, some, like, multi-mom play date, and I was not wearing a coat, and everyone else was, like, bundled up cutely in their tiny mm. peacoats and sweaters and stuff. And I was like, I don't know, guys. I just am not cold. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't really feel like we need to discuss it further. Yeah, it definitely seems better to just be honest about it than to try and bundle yourself and make yourself uncomfortable. And on the flip side, I will say I have one thin friend who runs very, very cold. Like, that's just her journey. And she has said that people will comment on that. Yeah, in conclusion, stop commenting on what people are doing (laughs) with their bodies. And how warm or cold you expect them to be. All right, I'll read the next question. Okay. I think this is from a teacher. My colleagues constantly call fat children lazy. What to say? It's obviously fat phobic. I usually challenge them about the individual child. Also, do they think I'm lazy too? Hard to trust now. It was sort of truncated because she put it in an Instagram question box. But yeah, this sounds awful. Awful. When I read this, my first question was like, what profession is this? Because why are these people allowed to work near children? I'm guessing it's either teacher or some kind of healthcare provider. Yeah, I was guessing healthcare, but yeah. uh, uh, just sad to imagine that people that take care of kids are calling them lazy. I think it's great to challenge them about the individual child. I also think, is there a way to say something like, I've been really trying to unlearn some of those stereotypes or like... You know, I think it's such a bummer that we are, like, so hard on fat kids or something. Like, you're not specifically calling out your colleague for saying the terrible thing, but you're, like, talking about the fat. I always like to, like, bring it to the culture, the larger system. My suggestion was if 
someone says like, oh, that kid's lazy, ask some follow-up questions. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. what makes you say that? Yeah. I'm so curious why you think that. Yes, that's good. You're kind of putting them a little on the spot, like not in a aggressive yeah. way, but just like, huh, what about yeah. this child is causing you to say that? And then if they have to really spell it out, hopefully yeah. they hear themselves. I think you could also kind of continue that into the more broad thing and just be like, oh, why are we calling people lazy? Mm-hmm. It's sort of mean. I This is reminding me, I just finished Casey Davis's book, How to Keep House While Drowning. I really want to read that. It's so good. I'm obsessed with Casey. She has this great thing where she talks about how lazy doesn't exist. Mm. And I'm just thinking this might be a good read for this person because she's not talking about it in the context of weight. She's talking about it in the context of like how clean your house is and if you're neurodivergent, how that's challenging or depressed. But it could be great to just be like, you know, I was just reading this book and lazy is a social construct. People being lazy need to rest. Resting is valid. Yeah, I think you're right. It makes sense it would be a teacher because I guess at a school it would make sense maybe a teacher would be calling someone lazy because you're supposed Mm -hmm. to be like hardworking at school. But I don't know. I think calling someone lazy is mean. So just don't do it. Whether we're fat or not. Yeah, it's a really unhelpful term. It's super ableist and super fat phobic. It's like trying to shame someone into doing something that they maybe don't want to do. Is always a successful strategy. We're really sorry you have to deal with that. It sounds terrible. And in terms of like, can you trust your colleagues? Like, I think that's valid to feel like you can't trust them. I also like, I don't know how safe you would feel doing this because it does not sound like a super supportive environment. So consider this part very optional. But you could also say that does not feel safe for me as a fat person to hear you say that. I think that would make them deeply uncomfortable and hopefully they'd shut the fuck up. But I throw that out there with like all the caveats of like, that may not feel like an option. I also just feel like we should probably mention that lazy can also be a very racialized term. Could also be playing a part. For sure. You're right. Racialized. Yep. That's just a terrible word. Yeah. So let's not call anyone lazy. Okay. Recommendations on finding and building fat community as a fat person unpacking their diet culture BS. I love this question. I feel like you should answer it first because you have been building Saltrate Plus is a wonderful fat positive community. I think it's like kind of that question of like how to make friends as an adult. Mm, Yeah. And I guess my first answer is like online. It is often the safe starting point, right? You know, you don't have to leave your house or put on pants. And I think also, like, people can be a little more upfront about how they feel about things online in a way that, you know, sometimes you meet someone in person and you like them and then you realize, like, oh, we disagree Mm -hmm. about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I shared a reel the other day. I'll try to link it in the transcript if I can possibly remember who posted it. But it was a guy being like, I don't trust it when I see a group of friends and they're all thin. And I was like, I mean, yes, there is something suspicious about that. So obviously there's burnt toast where I think we are mm-hmm. building a great community and that is a quite size diverse according to our last reader survey. So I would not say we are a specifically fat community, but there's certainly a lot of fat folks centered in the community. And I think that's been really lovely in terms of in-person community. 
My really only experience with it is this body liberation hiking club I keep talking about. And Alexa, who is a teacher here in the Hudson Valley, just decided that she wanted to build fat community Mm -hmm. and started this hiking group and just like made a Facebook and an Instagram and started putting up schedules for hikes and people go on the hikes. And it's so awesome. And I mean, I think they have like a couple thousand people following the Instagram account, probably not all locals. And then, you know, maybe like 10 people show up for a hike, but that's like really lovely bonding. Yeah. I've only been on one hike, but I aspire to go on more. And oh my God, it was just like an amazing, it made me realize I had never hiked with other, I'm married to a thin guy. Like I'd never hiked with other fat people. And I was like, (laughs) I've been doing it all wrong. Wow. (laughs) Like it's so much nicer, (laughs) you know, just like not having any of that noise of like Mm -hmm. comparison or anything and just being like oh wow we're all being really supportive and safe together so I guess look for a group like that and if there's not one start one like if you it doesn't have to be hiking either I should say like obviously hiking it has a little built-in ableism because not everyone can hike but it could be a book club I think book clubs are great it could be someone told me about starting an articles club because reading books takes too much time and I was like wow love it that's a great idea it could be reading articles Pool party? Pool parties, always, always. Yeah, I like the suggestion of starting something if you can't find something in your area, Mm because there are definitely fat people everywhere who probably (laughs) want other fat friends. We are everywhere. We're numerous. Yes, I don't know if you've heard. They talk about this epidemic, (laughs) so... Yep. You can find us. Yeah. Although I will just say as an introvert, like, oh, man, starting an in-person thing sounds scary. I would be yeah. so anxious that no one would come and I would feel yeah. bad. So maybe if you have like one friend, even if they're not fat, but they're just supportive that you can like anchor it with, you know. From Sheltered Plus, there have also been a few like groups of people meeting up that met on Trade Plus. So you oh, can come love to Celtrade Plus and see if there's people in your area. There's now like a Philadelphia clothes swap that's like <gasps> very big and happening at the end of October. So if you're in Pennsylvania, you could go to that. That's awesome. Yeah. I fantasize about burnt toast meetups. I have no further yeah. thoughts than that. <laughs> My hope is when the book comes out, maybe like book mm-hmm. events could be like a useful starting point yeah. for that. Okay. If your eyes are wide open to diet culture and fat phobia, but you still hate your body, how do you move forward? For example, I know why I find being bigger triggering, but that doesn't stop me wanting to be smaller. How do you unwire that? I do think it's important to know that you can have your eyes wide open to these things. You can be a good advocate working to dismantle fat phobia And you can still be in your own personal struggle. Like, you do not have to have this shit worked out in order to be a good ally or advocate or any of that. And so, like, cutting yourself some slack there and giving yourself permission to be struggling might be helpful. Because, yeah, you can know all of this stuff and then, like, really, like, reprogramming your body and your brain to stop going to that place of that anxiety is a whole different process yeah. and, you know, can often be really beneficial to work with a therapist, a good anti-diet fat positive therapist. I can link again to Christy Harrison's directory for finding folks. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is that 
you can't completely unwire this without solving fat phobia on a global level. It's just like the air we're breathing and like everything around you is telling you that you should hate being bigger. And it's uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable to be in a body that like doesn't fit places or breaks chairs or whatever. So that's valid. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That said, I would my recommendation would probably be to try and like find some stuff that you can do where you're like enjoying just being in your body, whether that's like some type of exercise or swimming or meditating or mm-hmm. yoga or like taking pictures of yourself and looking at them without feeling disgusted or just some way to like appreciate what your body can do for you even if it's not like the body that society tells you you should have or should want that's so smart and yeah appreciating your body for what it does versus how it looks like releasing yourself from the expectation like I just described 10 years of therapy for a lot of us like releasing yourself from the expectation but at least like noticing like I think it can be good just to notice I've talked about this before like when I have wardrobe anxiety about things not fitting or what it doesn't look right when I take a minute to say wait what else is going on it is always not about the clothes it is always that I'm like cranky and hormonal or because I have to see people in the world and my social anxiety kicked in or I'm stressed about work and taking it out on pants like it can be like totally unrelated like I think it's good you're noticing that you're getting triggered because I think for a long time people stay stuck in this like perpetual triggered state without even really like that feels like normal and you're at least like oh I'm getting triggered and now I'm having these thoughts that don't align with my values that's a useful place to be totally yeah even if being in a bigger body doesn't allow you to do certain things like run marathons or whatever like maybe you can still like smell flowers or like Mm -hmm. feel rain on your skin or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like now I'm singing a cheesy song (laughs) got a little Julie Andrews there but that's fine um something but no you're right like finding ways to like enjoy the tactile experience of your body like cozy blankets yeah if you're not too hot Um, lying on the couch having a body allows you to lie on the couch does it really is fun so great yeah it's so great yeah let your dog sit on you it's awesome like finding ways to appreciate that or just noticing that yeah. Maybe while you're noticing being triggered, also noticing positive sensations in your body could be mm-hmm. useful. We solved fat phobia on a global level. We did. We did. We <laughs> broke down a lot of systemic <laughs> bullshit there. Good job, us. Okay. Here's the next question. We're trying to be an Ellen Satter DOR house and avoid labeling any food as treats so as to present food more neutrally. In our own unlearning, sometimes this goes better than others but we've been doing the Ellen Satter deal for his whole life, four and a half years now. Yet he regularly asks us for treats or why there isn't a treat at every meal or snack. We bake often and we'll do snacks where the treat is on the menu and he gets unlimited access to those things. We try to do it regularly, but still his talk of treats persists. He goes to daycare and gets a heavy dose of this kind of messaging there, even if implicitly. Ideas? Okay, so this is fascinating because it makes me realize something that I think 
we're doing wrong when we talk about keeping foods neutral. And I, I do think it's important to avoid labeling foods as junk or bad foods or trash. But I think also some foods are treats, and that's okay. Like, I think it's okay to say that something is a treat. And maybe a treat is something you eat daily. And maybe I have a treat at most meals, you know? It doesn't mean it's something I can't have. Like, we could reclaim the word treat. He maybe is just asking for foods that feel fun to him to eat. It's okay that he's noticing that some foods are more fun to eat than other foods. Like, he's figuring out preferences. And, like, people have different ideas of treats. Like, I was just hanging out with a bunch of girlfriends this weekend, and I made brownies because me and one friend really wanted brownies, but the other two just wanted cheese. And, like, I love cheese, too, but that's not dessert to me. But they were like, no, that is our dessert. And, like, that's a valid life choice to feel that (laughs) cheese is your dessert, but it's a valid life choice to feel that brownies are your dessert. Does division of responsibility say that you shouldn't call things treats? I would have to look back at my Ellen Satter literature. I don't think that's textbook. It does really emphasize the importance of not labeling foods as good and bad. And it is true that there are certain contexts where treat equates with bad. Like, I do think the messaging he's getting at preschool may be like, oh, don't eat too many treats. Mm -hmm. I see that on kid food Instagram a lot, like sort of like putting treats in this special box and you're having, you know, you're just your three blue M&Ms and your bento lunchbox, like that kind of treatment of treats. But what I'm saying is like, I think you're going to be making your life hard and also sort of doing a disservice to your larger goals if you're like trying to correct him when he's using the word. Like, you don't have to get so hung up on the word treat. If it was saying junk food or it's bad for me or something, that would be different. But treat is not an inherently negative word. So maybe we're overthinking a little bit. But does the fact that he's asking why there isn't a treat at every meal or snack mean that he's not getting enough treats? Well, that was where I was going to go next. So I'm just looking at the question again. This person says, we bake often and we'll do snacks where the quote treat is on the menu and he gets unlimited access to those things. We try to do it regularly, but still his talk of treats persists. So what is regularly is my question, because if it's once a week, that may not be regularly enough. And the advice, if you're going to go back to Ellen Satter Cannon, which you don't have to do, you don't have to follow all of those rules, like this is a choice, but the official advice is You can serve dessert at most meals in a smaller portion and then also have snack times where treats are unlimited so that kids get these opportunities at least once a week. It could be more often to eat as many cookies as they want, and there's a cookie available at dinner. Now, in my house, we are not that precise about it. Like, my kids eat treats, I would say, like foods that I think this four-year-old would call treats. Pretty much every day is after-school snack. They tend to have cookies or chocolate or whatever they want along with whatever other food they want for snack. So I don't always do dessert every night at dinner because I know they've got that, like, built-in snack time, and that's always unlimited access at snack time. And then also usually on the weekends, there's going for ice cream or making brownies or something where there's, like, really unlimited, like, you're going to have as much as you want. My point is, like, they call them treats, but they don't have, like, a lot of hang-ups about the idea of treats. And I think that's our goal. Like, it's okay to describe cake as a treat, but not have a restrictive attitude towards treats. The other thing I want to say, because what I think I'm really picking up on in this question is a level of perfectionism around Mm -hmm. how to do these concepts. And I think that's so understandable, but it is also what diet culture teaches us. So it is, like, 
diet culture showing up in your attempt to not do diet culture, which valid, valid. But what I think is useful to know is that your four-year-old bringing home some messaging around treats from daycare is not a disaster. It's expected. Like, that's how daycares, most daycares talk about, like, eat your sandwich before your cookie. Do I agree with it? No. Do I think it's going to lead your child to have an eating disorder? Really not. Especially if what's happening in your home is we love all foods, you know, we embrace all of this, we don't have a restrictive mindset. All right. This is another question for you. You said the book title changed. Love the title, but can't find the old one in my brain. Explain more also. The original title of the book was Fat Kid Phobia. I don't think I had a subtitle. I think I was still going to be parenting in the age of diet culture or something like that. And I was very attached to it because I liked how it was taking fat phobia and putting kids in there and, you know, sort of exploding that. I know Aubrey Gordon has a great argument for why we should say anti-fat bias and not fat phobia. But I think when it comes to parents, a lot of it is fear-driven as well as bias. So I did really love the title. And my publisher and my agent liked it too initially. And then as we got kind of further along in the process, they became concerned for a couple of reasons that were really interesting to sort of unpack. A big one was they felt like parents would not want to read a book and leave it lying around the house with Fat Kid on the cover. Mm -hmm. That like that would be triggering two kids to see that word. That totally makes sense. It does. And it like also broke my heart because I was like, but the whole point is that we're yeah. claiming fat and there's nothing wrong with being a fat kid and fat kids are awesome. Yeah. But the kid may not have read the book yet. Yeah. <laughs> and the parent reading the book may be where they are with their work. And so seeing that word on a cover lying around the house, like they may not want to buy it in the store, you know, yeah. you may not want to pick it up. Because you're like, is that too jarring? And so that was their big pushback. I thought that was really right, but in a way that made me sad. And I was like, okay, but fat has to stay in the title. Like, it just has to. And I think there were, I can't remember all the other titles we put on the cutting room floor, but there were various versions that didn't have fat in. And I was like, no, I mean, this is a book about anti-fat bias. Like, we got to say it. Yeah, I remember growing up seeing books around the house and not loving it. So I think that makes sense. Like, reviving Ophelia or whatever. Well, and I had a whole conversation with my friend, Melinda Wenner-Moyer, who is the author of How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. Mm -hmm. And she had a similar thing, you know, and they did stick with it because they felt like it was provocative enough. It was such a central idea of what that book is about, which is like, basically, you don't want your kid to be Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And here's how we do that. Can imagine not liking that as the kid, though. Right, right, right. But she said, like, yes, some kids are offended by the title. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it was sort of interesting that that one made it through. And Fat Mm -hmm. Kid was where we decided it was too hurtful. And Mm -hmm. I have feelings about that. But I do think Fat Talk is a great title because... It also works on multiple levels. We are talking about the issue of fatness and anti-fat bias. There's fat talk is that thing that people do to hate on their bodies, like women do it together, you know, and we're challenging that idea. And it's also 
it's kind of a play on sex talk, like how you have to have the sex talk with your kids. Mm -hmm. A big argument in the book is you have to talk to your kids about anti-fat bias. You have to talk about how it manifests and how to push back against it. And so the last chapter of the book is called How to Have the Fat Talk. And of course, it's many talks. It's not one talk. If you like the title as well, you can go ahead and pre-order it. (laughs) Where would we pre-order it? (laughs) We'll put a link in the transcript for that. But anywhere you get your books. And my local independent bookstore is doing signed copies. I will sign the copies. That sounded awkward how I said that. (laughs) Did you come up with a new title or did the publisher? They actually came up with Fat Talk. And so that was also, I had to get over my ego because I was like, Fat Kid Phobia was mine. And now I'm just going to take your title. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, no, I do like it. I do think just putting fat in the title at all, though, does automatically mean there are people who won't pick up the book. And that's Mm. sort of is what it is, because it's like a bummer because they maybe most need to. Yeah. But I just couldn't see a way around that. All right. The last question. People want us to talk about Halloween costumes. Do you dress up? What are you going to be this year? Also got some questions about Halloween candy. We could talk about that a little bit, too. Okay. Well, I do not dress up and I do not have children. So no one in my household dresses up. Not even Bunny? I mean, no. (laughs) She doesn't love having clothes on. Yeah. And I personally feel like having to dress up as a human every day is enough. Is enough work. Of a costume. I am right there with you. We are about to make ourselves very unpopular. (laughs) I hate Halloween. I think it's a terrible holiday. And this is a very unpopular opinion in my town. I live in like a big Halloween town. Mm. So having kids in this town means that there is a school parade. There is a town parade. There is a neighborhood party. And there is trick-or-treating at this like one street in town that goes crazy for Halloween and everyone in town goes there. So it is like a four-day situation. Yeah. And adult costumes are strongly encouraged for all of this, except maybe the school parade. Wow. I hate it. I hate it so much. I was just ranting to Sarah Peterson, actually. I was text ranting to her about it because it's awful. (laughs) It's so much work. So are you being pressured into dressing up? So every year I just like half-ass it and at the last minute think of something. Like last year I wore a floral sweatshirt and carried a watering can and I said Mm. it was my garden. That's cute. It was cute. It was fine. Nobody wants to do a family costume except me because I want to do it so that I don't have to make a decision about myself. Like I'm like, Mm -hmm. can you all think of a cool family costume and I'll just be Marge Simpson or whatever you make me be. And they're like, no, we're all doing our own cool thing. You need your own cool thing. But can we also talk about like I feel like part of this is also a fat tax issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. Halloween costumes are harder if you're fat, I think. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason I don't like dressing up is because, like, I just feel like I don't need anything else to make me feel more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be comfortable. Yeah, completely. And, like, the sizing issues on costumes. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not like you can just walk into Spirit Halloween and buy a right. whatever right. costume. And also, like, I don't know, somehow I feel like this is going to sound preachy, but it's like everyone's environmentalism goes out the window around Halloween. Mm. Like, the only way to, like, efficiently do Halloween is to Amazon Prime some shit. And the whole rest of the year, I'm supposed to feel guilty about Amazon. And then suddenly for Halloween, everyone's like, I'm Amazoning an astronaut costume. And, and, like, what are you going to do with it afterwards? (laughs) 
Interesting. Do you just have a closet full of costumes in your house? I mean, I guess people do, but why? I don't need a closet full of grown-up size costumes. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. So I don't know what I'm doing. I have a lot of angst about it already. My one idea for a costume is to be a Rockford Peach from A League of Their Own. Oh, Topical, witty, aesthetically pleasing to me. And I did look, and there seems to be a plus-size option on Amazon. Wow. But I'm still like, number one, will it fit? Like, will their 1X or 2X be the 1X, 2X I need? Question Mm -hmm. mark. Number two, it's $50. Do I need to spend $50? (laughs) But I have to go to all these damn Halloween events. I mean, I feel that it's impressive that you haven't just, like, bought a witch hat and worn all black. Because that's what I would do. That maybe, And then I just, that's what I do forever. There's also, because there's, like, just a huge mental load piece of it, too. Like, figuring out your costume. Like, I've already had yeah. to figure out my kid costumes with them and, like, lock them in and be like, it's Panda and Ladybug, guys. We're not changing our minds. Yeah. This is what it is. That's what they're being this year. Yes. The older one is being a panda, and the younger one is now being a ladybug, which I'm thrilled about because the older one was a ladybug for, like, four years. So we own so much ladybug stuff. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So I don't have to buy that costume. I did have to buy the panda costume because I refuse. I'm not interested in crafting Halloween costumes. Like, this does not sound fun or relaxing for me. The odds that I could execute my child's vision without us both screaming at each other, like, no, it wouldn't happen. Do you follow Noisaf Bazaar on Instagram? I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's another like buyer seller Instagram Mm -hmm. and they now have like a website and they have historically done like a Halloween costume like resale thing. Oh, where I think you can buy like used Halloween stuff. So that might be something to look into. I'm not up on how and if they're doing it this year, but... I'm going to investigate this. That would be helpful. I do feel like I need to just lock in on one thing and just be like, this is my costume for the next 10 years. Do you have a preferred Halloween candy? It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups or Mini Snickers. Mm. The end. I like uh, Butterfinger. Okay. Yeah. Respectable. I can get on board with that. And people are going to want to know how we manage Halloween candy. And the answer is we let our kids eat all of it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't okay. think about it. <laughs> do you sneak steal candy from your kids? No, or but do you, I like, do. Buy your own? I buy Reese's peanut butter cups and mini Snickers for myself. Mm. And then, I, well, like when they were like little, little, like for a while, Snickers are a choking hazard. So then oh. I could just steal theirs. But once you're, you know, past that, like at three, no, like I make sure we have the candy I'm going to want to have in the house. I also buy these candies like at any point in the year I want them. Like it's, Mm, they are treats, but I don't have a restrictive mindset around them. See, this is in action right here, guys. I let them like take all the candy they want. I have literally no rules. Like they can eat it while we're walking around trick-or-treating. Some people are very big on like, wait till we get it home so I can check in for razor blades. And I'm just like, if this town makes me go to five freaking Halloween events (laughs) and someone's putting a razor blade in this candy, like there's no way. This town cares about Halloween too much. It wouldn't happen. So they can eat it while they walk around. I don't care. They can come home and sit there and eat as much as they want before they go to bed. They don't care. The next day they can eat as much as they want. Usually by day three, they're like, what Halloween candy? We're so over it. Like, we ate all the good stuff and we're done. Like, and then we just throw away what they don't feel like eating. We don't get hung up on any 
you're just setting yourself up for negotiations and power struggles if you try to put a lot of rules around it. Yeah. I will say I was very obsessed with Halloween. Candy as a child. And yeah. definitely noticed when my parents, like, took, took yours. one yeah, that's single mean. piece out of the collection. That's me. And they worked hard to get it. They wore the costume. <laughs> they walked around. Yeah, no, I don't take their candy. I mean, I might say, like, like when we're sitting down afterwards and going through it all, like, ooh, can I have this? But usually they say no, and I'm like, well, good, that's why I bought my own. So, <laughs> yeah, just let your kids enjoy Halloween candy. Don't get hung up on it. Nothing bad happens from eating Halloween candy. Brush teeth, I guess, if you're worried. Mm. Even there, I can't promise you we're doing a great job, but we try. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right, should we do butter? Yes. My butter this week is a recipe. Yes, I was at my mom's house this summer and she gets subscription magazine Bon Appetit. And she was like looking through it and she was like, look at this cake. It looks amazing. And the cake is chocolate sheet cake with brown butter frosting. Oh, that sounds so good. We proceeded to make it a few times over the months that I was staying with her. And it is delicious. The cake part, it's a chocolate cake. But it's like one of those chocolate cakes that you don't have to use a mixer for. You can Mm. just like mix it in the bowl, which I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Not having to haul down the mixer is big. Yes. So you just kind of like mix it in a bowl with your spatula and dump it in a pan and bake it. And then the frosting has brown butter in it and it is delicious. Question. Is brown butter a type of butter or you have browned it in a pan? You have browned it in a pan. Okay. So brown butter is when you, like, cook butter until the milk solids in the butter turn brown and, like, toasty. It's very delicious. Oh, that sounds yummy. Yeah. And in this particular recipe, you actually add milk powder to the butter to, like, get extra brown, toasty bits before you, like, whip it into frosting. Well, I definitely want to make this. It's great. It's really good. And I have been putting sprinkles on top of it, and that is also very beautiful. You may need to find a picture. I will try. If not, make another cake so you can take a picture. (laughs) No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds really, really delicious. Let's see. What am I doing? I feel like by the time this comes out, the moment has passed. But I just want to circle back to Lizzo and the flute and just say how much I loved her playing James Madison's flute and of course the discourse around it got ridiculous because people are absurd Mm -hmm. but it was so great oh i am going to also talk about lauren i don't know if it's lavelle or lavelle i'm sorry lauren lauren lavelle fitness i will link to her instagram i have just started doing her workouts and she does like boot camp which i haven't tried yet cardio bar and regular bar And they're just joyful. They're so, like, her whole energy is delightful, super anti-diet, super fat positive. Is this, like, you do it through Instagram or she has, like, a She has a membership. I think it's $40 a month. And she is uploading, like, she is doing a couple of live Zoom classes per week in Mm. each of these categories. I never make it to the Zoom live because they're at like 11 on a Sunday and I have to parent my dumb kids. But she then uploads the Zoom so you can do them anytime afterwards. And so I do them at 7 in the morning before my children Mm -hmm. are awake, which is when I can do them. Do you need any stuff? Well, for bar, you need a mat, like a yoga mat, 
I do have like some little two pound weights. So you could probably use like a seltzer can or something. Yeah, water bottles. And then you just need like, like I just use my desk chair, like as the bar kind of like, or Mm. you could do it by a kitchen counter. I have done bar in the past and really hated it. I did, I'm just going to throw them under the bus, bar three, when I was in a more diety place. Now I understand they have had an evolution and now they're very body positive. But from what I could see, they have hired no fat instructors. So how far have they gone? Question mark. There's another good, I think, body posi bar on there's like definitely yeah. a couple people doing bar in a body positive way. And I was curious yeah. to try it because I knew the exercises are sort of similar to what I've been doing in PT to build up my core and work through all my back issues. Mm-hmm. And they definitely are. It's like a slightly more aerobic version. Like there's a little okay. more of a cardio element. She's very funny. I love her energy. I just decided I'm, like, so done with having to filter it out. Do you know what I mean? Like, people will be like, I love this workout. Sometimes they talk about da-da-da. And I'm like, no, why are we paying these people money? Why are you encouraging them? Yeah, I don't need the baggage. Yeah, I don't want to have to, like, turn down that volume and be like, shh, 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 (laughs) while I'm doing it. I just want a safe space. I get that. I am confirming that Lauren is a very safe space. Wait, we have one other thing we need to talk about. Oh, yeah. What is that? Virginia, you joined TikTok. <gasps> I did. I did join TikTok. You're right, correct. <laughs> okay. And let's be clear when I say I joined TikTok. <laughs> Corinne joined I TikTok, made guys. Virginia a TikTok account. <laughs> Corinne was already on TikTok. <laughs> I am obsessed with TikTok, unfortunately. but uh, Fortunately for me, because I was like, Corinne, I think I have to do it, and I don't want to and I don't know how so yes. we're trying out TikTok we are we are Bert please TikTok. come find us yes it's at v underscore soulsmith yeah we just made it the same the as, same as Instagram. Instagram so it's easy to remember and my Twitter and yeah I mean it's a lot of cross posting from Instagram because now that I have to do reels on Insta we could do a whole other episode about my feelings <laughs> about video content <laughs> Oh, God, it's the worst. But we're really trying, and we'll do some stuff probably just for TikTok, too, especially if more than the two of us start following me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So come find us on TikTok. (laughs) We will follow you back. We will. (laughs) Very liberal And if you, like, see stuff on TikTok that you think Burnt Toast should know about, send it to us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. At the underscore Soul Smith. Yeah, please do. Corinne is making it happen. Thank you again (laughs) for doing this. Uh, Really appreciate it. And I like too because like, like I feel like only Burnt Toast like podcast listeners are going to know it's you. So like people are DMing or whatever. Does TikTok have DMs? I don't know. Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) Then like, you know, you're in the know if you know you're really talking to Corinne. And Virginia is like lost her login again. It doesn't know how to do it. I was like, (laughs) I mean, true story. Corinne goes, I made the TikTok. She texts me and I'm like, hang on. I'm trying to look it up on my computer. (laughs) I'm like at (laughs) TikTok.com. Which it turns out you can do or you can't. We don't know. Um, I never found my own account (laughs) that way. I have done it before because people will send me a TikTok like, we've linked to TikToks and stuff in stories, and, like, I've opened them fine on the computer. But obviously, it's not how the app was intended to be used. And if any burnt toast 
people need a little extra push to get on TikTok, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. It's yeah. really cool and fun. Yeah. You will lose hours of your life. I enjoy watching the TikToks that people post to Instagram. Yeah. That is, as an elder millennial, that is how I have chosen to engage with it. Yes. Well, and, you're just seeing them like weeks late. Yes. I like but. being three weeks late to something. <laughs> I think that's good for me. Yeah. But no, we are going to try to make TikTok fun. And so, guys, come follow. It'll be great. All right. I think we did an episode. Thanks I for being here, Corinne. I appreciate it. Tell people where to follow us on all of the places. Well, you can follow me personally at Celtrade Plus on Instagram or at Selfie Faye is my personal account. And you can find Virginia <laughs> at the underscore Soul Smith on Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok. And wait, what's your tech? Like, are you on TikTok? Oh, is do, Plus on yes. TikTok? I'm on TikTok. I think my TikTok is at Selfie Faye, which is the okay. same as my personal Instagram. I will say I rarely post. I think I've only posted like dog stuff, but maybe that will change. I mean, we're here for the dog content, so I yeah. think that's great. I'm here for it. But you're not doing Cell Trade Plus on TikTok. That doesn't translate as well, I guess. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> not yet, tuned. anyway. Stay tuned. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for doing this. This was great. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player. Tell a friend about this episode. Do all the things we tell you to do. Become a paid subscriber to the Burnt Toast newsletter for just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You can find out more about that at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soul Smith. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok at the underscore soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Cell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.